Welcome to Ludo Narrative Dissidents, Episode 2, Lancer. I'm Ross Payton, and here with me are my co-hosts, Greg Stolze and James Wallace, as we discuss the sci-fi, mecha, tactical combat RPG that uh, you, the backers, voted on uh, for us to discuss next. So, uh, again, thank you all for backing our Kickstarter and I'm quite excited to talk about this role-playing game. Of course, in our terms of our, our before we get to the discussion, uh, we will have a preview or episode survey up soon for you to vote on what we talk about in episode three. And we'll have updates on the Kickstarter page with the winner, probably by the time you listen to this. Yeah, uh, Lancer is a tactical combat-focused role-playing game that was released in 2019 by Massive Press and Massive Press is essentially two main developers, Miguel Lopez and Tom Parkinson Morgan. Uh, they are known previously for the webcomic Kill Six Billion Demons, uh, which has a very distinctive art style and, of course, writing style. Uh, they kickstarted Lancer a year or two before it was released, I believe. It is a thick boy. It is 432 pages, uh, beautiful full color. Yes, the basic premise is that it's the far future and you are a lancer, a mecha combat, a mecha pilot, and you are sent out to the most dire situations to save the day. Before we get into the, the nitty gritty too much, that, that's sort of the very, very big view. Yeah, Greg, what do you want to say first about lancer? Um. Okay, well, so the, I'll agree, that book is beautiful and big, massive indeed. Uh, in my <laughs> mind the sizes of large books it's like okay there's the doorstop book then there's the book where you know my mental rubric is if i threw that at a burglar would the burglar be stunned mm -hmm. and this is this is definitely maybe even a little bigger than that i'm like i think this thing might have the the heft to crack bone it's big and heavy and uh, I was I was very excited to get it, but not as excited as my son was, because when he saw it, he's like, I've seen that artwork online. That's Lancer. That's Lancer. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lancer can I, is. Can I have it when you're done with it? I'm like, you know, my uh, you know, my library is open to you. my boy. <laughs> Aw. Uh, Lancer does have a very active fan base. There is a very active discord with something like 6,000 members, uh, people talking, you know, providing advice and, and talking about the game and its setting and the rules and how to run it. Uh, there's also a lot of fan uh, support for the game, uh, including, uh, let's see here, uh, Retrograde Minis, which is a website where you can create artwork, pixel artwork to represent your mecha. Uh, there are various Patreons offering scripting services for a virtual tabletop, uh, so you can uh, run your game through a virtual tabletop like Foundry more easily. And then, of course, there's CompCon, which started as a fan project, and uh, the developers paid, you know, uh, the developer of CompCon, uh, so it becomes an official product. Uh, and that is a web based app that uh, lets you create characters and encounters and is basically handles a lot of the bookkeeping uh, of Lancer. So yeah, it's, it's a very modern game in the sense of how the community is built, how the developers choose to support it. Uh, yeah. James, what, what are your initial uh, thoughts on Lancer before we get into our well, questions? I'm, I was and am a colossal fan of um, Kill Six Billion Demons. I've been reading it almost since the start. It's incredibly narratively rich, imaginative, mm -hmm. often just berserk, bizarre world setting. The characters are really well 
drawn and narratively and, and, and literally as well. Um, and when I heard they were doing a giant robot game, it was like, wait, what? <laughs> but I bet it's going to be, and I had this picture in my head of what it was going to be with all this, this, this the kind of things that I've, I've always wanted from a, a giant robot game, which is not one of my favorite genres, I have to say. Mm. And it is not that game. It, I was not expecting something with this much crunch and mechanical detail mm-hmm. to it. I really was not. And that put me off it as I was starting in. I was not expecting the opening to be two pages of background and then three pages of this is how the mechanics will work in the preface, you know, before you've even started properly reading the thing. Um, that said, there's an awful lot in there. There's, this is, there, is, there are riches in, there, in, in this book. Mm-hmm. I've only read it as, as PDF. I've not been working out my biceps uh, with a physical <laughs> physical version. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's this is not a game I'm ever going to run um, or probably yeah. play because it is not my style. But I had a lot of fun reading it. Yeah. Before we get into what it does and how it does, I will say one of the things about Lancer that really sets it apart from other mecha games, and I'm thinking most right now of BattleTech. Uh, but it has a very different style of like what mechs are and what mechs can do. Uh, and it really leans into the weird sci-fi element of, uh, you know, paracausality and, um, you know, science so advanced it's basically magic style rather than the battle tech. I have big mech with big laser cannons and missiles and I fire them and I have heat sinks to deal with that. And that's it. Um, yeah. Lancer Mechs, mechs get weird, uh, <laughs> but they yeah. don't, they don't all get weird. It's just no. the Horus ones that are weird. No, I mean, even the, even the other things, if you look okay, into higher yeah, levels, the, yeah, some of, yeah, the, 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 you can get weird. I'll yeah. You that. can get way, weird. You can choose a more traditional mech that just is fast or is big. And, you know, um, but this dichotomy goes back to the beginning of, of um, robot anime in Japan, where there's always been mm-hmm. a division between what they call the super robots, which are basically magic, and the real robots, which are exemplified by Gundam in Japan and, and Battletech in the West, which mm-hmm. are the ones where you kind of feel that there's an actual science, or at least pretend science, underlying the way they work and the, the mechanics by which they work. At least pretend science. That's a lovely <laughs> But you you know what I mean. It, it's kind of everything knits together, and it kind of and you feel there's a realism to it um, mm-hmm. and a grittiness to it. Battletech robots. It's not just they have heat sinks; they also have crews of people to maintain them. Um, Lancer robots. You get damage in a battle. Yeah, three D. It, it's just assumed that you will three D print replacement components and fit them yourself before the next battle. It it's, yeah. it, it, it hand waves an awful lot of stuff out of the way. Yeah. Um, and yes, I will come on to some of my problems with that later on. Yeah. I mean, I've, Lancer is very meaningful where it chooses to be complex and where it chooses not to be complex. Um, unlike, yeah, the battle tech style, uh, of games. So, um, I think that's an important discussion to have. Yes. But, but let's also not forget battle tech started very, very much. It was a tabletop game that spun off role playing and video game components. Lancer comes on as a, as a role playing game. It sells itself as a role playing game. But I think the heart of it is a figures on the tabletop experience mm-hmm. or, or oh, virtual figures on, on um, Roll20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, something, well, something I noted down, and this is less about the bifurcation. When I, you know, for our framework of what it does, how it does it, 
Um, the things that jumped out at me for what it does is in the setting, I'm like, okay, so this is a game about a future utopia of universal rights and post-scarcity plenty and human fulfillment and also giant mech fights. And I'm mm-hmm. like, it's, okay, how are they going to square that circle? And I think they did a pretty nice job of squaring that circle, actually, because it's like, okay, yeah, the utopian awesomeness, that's the core worlds, and that is aspirational, and it's its not perfect, it's always a work in progress, but you are probably not going to be having giant mech fights in the core worlds. You are going to be having them out on the edge where people are resisting the core worlds and are still saying things like, oh, no, 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 clones aren't people. That's why it's okay to enslave them. And where, you know, there is is all this techno-barbarianism that mm-hmm. needs to be suppressed by means of giant robot fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the setting is very interesting, but they, the, the, the way it is presented is very much is... This is very open-ended and very loosely defined, so you can create your own space within this setting for your own story. In in that regard, it actually reminds me a lot of Warhammer and Warhammer 40K, especially because the idea is that the galaxy is vast and there are many planets and many systems. So, yeah, you can add whatever you want into it because within this framework, a lot of things can make sense or can can be made to fit into the uh, uh, setting. Um, I did feel... I don't know. And this is this may be me being unfair. So if one of the writers of this wants to come at me, I will withdraw it. Mm-hmm. But and because I did not do a profound, deep, multiple page reading and I didn't play or, uh, you know, I didn't read it multiple times and, and yeah. cross reference it. But it did seem to me that they were more interested in writing up the systems uh, for mech mayhem. It's like, okay, well, here's what this specific gun does and how it does it. Mm-hmm. Had a lot more sort of flavor and energy to it than, what was it that, it was uh, in the, the GMing section, and it's like, well, here's a bunch of, of situations you might be called in to Lance at. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, I'm like, this could this reads exactly like a D&D thing, right down to having oh, yeah. an evil baron. Uh-huh. And so uh, it is it is the yeah, it is more the theatrical backdrop style of D&D. Um, so to give some context, I think um, the the biggest design inspiration that Lancer draws from is the the fourth edition of Dungeons and Dragons, which is the black sheep of the Dungeons and Dragons family, because it has a very different, a very sort of focused and obvious uh, design intent, um, which is to separate narrative and combat uh, play and to have a very, very clear game about what you can and can't do in combat and then to leave narrative free form. And so, and D&D in particular, it's like, well, there's the kingdom with the king and there's monsters. Go fight the monsters. Um, they don't, it, like we were talking about in Alos the Water Margin is very much not a culture game with a very specific thing. It is very uh, vague, <laughs> so you can sort of create it as you want, you know. Um, but yeah, so the that's I think the most important thing is that it is drawing from D and D actually in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I 
I liked the powerful bifurcation between mech fights and everything else. And I think mm-hmm. that is a strength for this game that mm-hmm. it is, it knows exactly what it wants to be. And it is that good and hard. Yeah. And it, and it knows what its players want to be mm-hmm. as, as well. They want the, it, this is a game very much for people who want to be or want to pilot giant robots slugging the hell out of other giant robots. This does not deconstruct the, the giant robot art form. This does not take yeah, Neon Gen- Genesis Evangelion and run with some of its concept. <laughs> the only thing you are deconstructing in this game is other giant robots and you are doing it with your fists. Mm-hmm. Um, the way it splits down into... I mean, it, it splits into three parts. Um, mm-hmm. And you say D&D 4. D&D 4 is the, the only edition of D&D that I've, I've never actually owned mm-hmm. apart from 2 and 3.5. What it reminded me of, the way it splits, because it's not just your character combat and the giant robot combat. First, The first thing I thought of was Car Wars. But there's a third part. There's downtime. And we covered downtime partly in Blades in the Dark. But the way it splits very discreetly into three self-contained mechanically separate chunks reminded me of free-to-play mobile role-playing games on mm-hmm. your phone, which I play an awful lot of. And they do very much the same thing. There will be the, the interface where you do the plot stuff, the interface where you fight stuff, and the interface where you level your character and your gear. And those are mechanically separate. I mean, bits feed, numbers feed from one to the other. And obviously you can log from one to the other. But in terms of their design, they are very discreet and and Mm -hmm. distinct. And they feel different, right? They really feel different, yes. Yeah, I mean, this this is, I think, been a trend in a lot of role playing games. Um, Within the last oh, wait, decade, sorry, I've forgotten. I've forgotten the point of saying all that. Okay, the yeah. point because this feeds into something else. The way that Lancer's mm-hmm. leveling systems work, the license level, and things like that. Every mm-hmm. time you level, you get points that you can feed into something else. It feels really gamified. And gamified, of course, comes out of particularly mobile games because it's about player retention and about ideally separating you from your money. There's less of that going on within Lancer, but I did it felt gamified it felt that there was an awful lot of oh just push on push on to the next level and then you'll get all these cool more things and you can it'll trickle down and all your systems will get that much incrementally better or you might even be able to trade up to a bigger model of thing it felt calculated in a way that i don't often feel it's calculated in a lot of tabletop role-playing games possibly because a lot of tabletop role-playing games designers don't think about things in that in those terms that's D and D DNA yeah. right there. It's like, oh, I just got, I just got to get to fifth level, and then I'll have cloud kill, and I'll show them all. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, just ca- ca- cast cloud kill at the the entrance of the cave, and let it just flow down. <laughs> oh, Doctor Spooky, you just thought you could cloud kill your problems away, did you? Yeah. The um the that is also from Fourth Ed, which I uh well probably maybe not uh-huh. even Fourth Ed, but the milestone system, uh which was presented I remember in Fourth Ed it may have been presented before, uh as an alternative leveling system where instead of okay you kill you know ten CR monsters where blah, blah this many experience points divided by this many players you each get five hundred XP, um you know that 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 was sort of like the third ed system in in the milestone system it's like all right you you finished your first mission to rescue the merchant's daughter from uh the uh, 
hobgoblins. So uh, he, you each get a level up because that's a major story beat. So it was tied more as like a can't like basically thinking of like a story arc of like not of a single movie, but of a television series. Um, so every time the characters uh, uh, reveal a major plot point, they would get a level up. Um, and that um, and downtime has been very uh, a lot of games have done that. Just I mean, oh, we yeah. did talk about Blades in the Dark. Obviously, in the last episode, but also thing games like Torchbearer uh, and Red Markets, and again, just resting and full rests versus short rests in D and D and many other similar systems. Um, so that's what I think it's drawing inspiration from. Now, mobile games obviously do, especially have the 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 downtime. Like you have to, if you you have to wait six hours before you can make your next move, or you can pay to move again immediately. So, but I feel like that's the milestones from Fourth Ed are the uh, close, most obvious inspiration to me. Because um, the thing about Fourth Ed D and D, at least from my perception, is that you know there's a huge group of players who hated it. Hated when he came out and really hated it afterwards. Um, but there was this this really noticeable contingent of people. Was like I really like Fourth Ed. Like anyone could pick any class and make it work. You know, if you didn't, if you, uh, you know, if by the time you're seventh level, it wasn't like the fighter can swing his sword faster and the wizard can turn invisible, fly, and cast fireballs from a high. While the guy swung the sword harder um you know it was more like the fighter could do this and this really cool stun and this really cool thing to compete with the wizard there weren't bad choices a lot of people like there to be bad choices um mm-hmm. system mastery yeah yeah people who want to be good at something are like well <laughs> i i would like there to be some pitfalls that the noobs will fall into so oh you I pick toughness <laughs> as your feet oh yeah three hit points big deal um, you know, yeah, I pick spell focus. So my, my, uh, sleep spell is harder to resist. So we can just bulldoze these goblins because I can make them sleep. They can't get a save and I just slit all their threats. All right, we're done. All right. Uh, now I'm just going to go to sleep. So I get my spell back and we can do rinse and repeat. Until we, you yeah. have now had fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like that. That's again the biggest thing. Uh, the 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 structure of Lancer as a game is that you have narrative play, you know, your mission briefings and your introduction and your role playing, followed by a big mission, a combat, and then after the combat, you would have downtime. Now, whether and it does give a difference between like short rests between fights. Like a mission would be multiple fights, like in D anD D, and after you know three or four fights, you complete the mission. Uh, like kill the bad guy. Okay. First you have to find, you have to defeat the perimeter guards. Then, you know, you have to sabotage the generator to open the, the, the inner door. And then you would confront the boss. So that's three. And then you have to escape. So that's four fights. And then uh, once you get out and you've killed the boss and you've escaped, then you would level up your characters um, or get a new license level in your case. So um, that's uh, sort of no, the gameplay loop. It's yeah. interesting you say that about the, the sequences there, because there's a bit that I've actually got highlighted here. I should have taken the page number. Mm-hmm. Um, for the way that they, the non-mech stuff, when you're, you're running around as the human uh, mm-hmm. step, you know, I'm, I'm a role player. I'm a narrativist. I, I've, I'm able to get entire role playing sessions out of a visit to the hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of expect games, particularly modern games, to allow for that. And there's a bit, I'm going to read this here. 
Um, for plans with several distinct stages, an extended challenge might be appropriate. An extended challenge has several rounds of rolling, and the outcome is calculated based on the number of rounds won by the players. For instance, an extended challenge with three rounds might require the players to gain the Baron's... There's a word missing. Plant information in the Baron's castle and then sabotage the gate. The players are only truly successful if the majority of these tasks, two out of three in this case, are uh, accomplished. So that's two out of three rolls mm-hmm. from my reading. Yep. So that's that's like role playing in fast forward. That's you're 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 going through what for me is the, is the plot and the interesting part because as mm-hmm. I say I play role playing games to play roles, not to not to move figures about on on a table. I, and I, I, I may be in a minority. Again, this, that's that's from Fourth Ed D and D. Fourth Ed D and D, they had skill challenges, which was get so many successes before so many failures to do like solve the puzzle. Or uh, investigate the murder, uh, but this this seems yeah. to be the like the, the whole you know mm-hmm. it's basically it's where eagles it's the whole plot of where eagles dare in three dice rolls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, right. And part of this is I'm trying to remember which game it was where the big you know they're like okay here's the big killer app of this game. You when I when I describe this you may remember it better than my feeble mind has, but it's mm-hmm. like okay. You can just roll not for a task, but to do the whole thing that you have dialed out. And it's not, okay, I'm going to roll to get over the fence and I'm going to roll to avoid the guards and I'm going to roll to unlock the door and I'm going to roll to hide while I move through the building. It's just Mm -hmm. the challenge is, can I get in? Mm -hmm. And if you roll successfully, you got in. And your GM is not allowed to throw more malarkey at you where it's like, oh, but did you think of this? Oh, but but there's a guard. No, it's like you either roll and get in or you don't. And that it does. And I think a, which is a, maybe an extreme reaction to the question of pacing and mm-hmm. how intense you want something to be. And I, I feel like pacing can be very important and that not every game pays a lot of attention to, and not every GM pays a lot of attention to pacing and the tools for making something slow down when it's really intense and cool Mm -hmm. and making something speed up when nobody cares about it. Although the making things speed up when nobody cares about it aspect, I think, is handled a little more, uh, a little more often and a little more uh, intelligently. It's yeah. it's something everybody can get behind. Uh, it's you know going all the way back to say yes or roll the dice. Yeah, and so the. The question to answer for a game when you're designing it in many ways is, what's the good bit? And when you know what the good bit is, you focus on that, and the good bit gets more detailed and intensive rules and more time at the table, and everything else exists just as support for the good bit. And in this, Mm -hmm. the good bit is clearly... The mech fights. They yeah. clearly consider that the meat and everything else is the side dish. Which, and I, an interesting choice I noticed was how easy the challenges outside of mech combat look. Yeah. Mm. It, it looks like, it 
you have a base 50% chance of just succeeding at every role. Mm-hmm. And then if you're good at it, your chances are, are that much better. I'm like, well, damn, that's, you know. I, I mean, part of that is intentional because your Lancers are the best of the best. Like they're supposed to be elite uh, with years of training um, and some you can role player describe, you know, oh, I have cybernetic implants or I've, you know, warrior culture bred for generations, you know, whatever you want to say. Um, but yeah, Lancer is obviously you don't play Lancer unless you want really tactical crunchy combat. Yeah. 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 Uh, the role play, the, the narrative stuff is there. So it's not just entirely free form, but I think the developers expect most player groups to use the narrative rules as a suggestion or a guideline to say, well, okay, you're trying to fat, you're trying to convince the tribe, uh, you know, to join your cause to fight the, you know, the bandits. Um, now, if you succeed, then they'll just join you and your fight will be easier. But if you don't, then the fight will be harder because you don't have this one time bonus that they would confer um, like that. That is because. Yeah. So it's design intent, I think. And I think that's a sign of a good modern game is that it has a very focused design intent. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, obviously, this is outside their 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 area of focus. Well, and this raises the question of, and uh, uh, I think we're sort of in the how it does it section of the discussion. Mm-hmm. Now. I was I was about to say <laughs> we've moved. What, yeah, what it does is uh, square is explain why you are having all these mech fights, and uh, how it does it is the mechanical division between mech fights and all the other crap. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. My question, my feeling is that the setting is presented. I'm like, I'm not sure this is the best possible setting for a game whose focus is mech fights, which are, you know, even as they describe it, it's like, yeah, the mechs are above the infantry grunts who do Mm -hmm. most of the war fighting, but they are still nothing compared to these capital ships that are kilometers long. And, you know, if if you're involved in a big space battle, your role is get in your mech and try a boarding action on a medium-sized vessel because that, once you have the medium-sized vessels out of the way, it makes it much easier for your command ship to just vaporize everything. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's uh, again, the setting is sort of a backdrop for you to create whatever scenario you want. Now they have provided uh, a campaign to sort of illustrate the kind of storytelling and the kind of uh, battles that they think would best showcase the game. Uh, The campaign is called no room for a wallflower and I'll be spoiling some elements of it. Um, And so for those of you listening, yeah. So in No Room for a Wallflower, for example, you're going to this colony world and you're literally the only uh, military support the the Union is sending to this one colony where it was colonized because they didn't think anyone was living there. But they found out uh, that there are people living there. And in fact, a war was fought there centuries ago. And the the major antagonist of the campaign, spoiler alert again, is actually a um, advanced AI called an NHP, non-human personality, uh, that has reactivated and it's pro- and it's damaged. Its programming is damaged, so its last mission parameters were to, uh, well, basically kill everyone on the planet. 
Um, and so it reactivates. And so this is a planet that was, you know, centuries old battles. And so all these robots are being reactivated. So it's just littered with, you know, countless robots and war machines that are, can be reactivated by this AI. And and therefore opportunities to beat them up. Yeah. And so like you're fighting, trying to protect the colony from this horde of ancient war machines, centuries old war machines that are coming after you. And it culminates uh, the campaign culminates in a, in a fight against one of these AIs or a splinter, uh, 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 a spinoff from the main AI, um, and it's called an Edelon, uh, and they actually have new rules to fight this because it's like a – it's a boss fight with multiple uh, – um, uh, not layers, but phases – and so either they give you 20 possible phases and you would roll and, or you just pick three and each phase has a gimmick. So it would be like a puzzle fight at the end. Um, so, but like early missions would be like fighting off rogue machines that are appearing at the perimeter um, or trying to get this other group of humans. They, they think the colonies to blame for the attack. So they attack the colony and then going over and trying to help them out so that they side. So you can have a unified front and, um, so there would be a mix of, oh, and protecting the refugees as they're fleeing from the machine army. Um, so those are the kind of, so that, that, that campaign kind of shows what kind of battles. It's not just boarding actions in space. Um, well, no, I never yeah. said it was just oh, okay, boarding, okay. Actions, boarding actions in space, but the breadth of the implied setting Mm-hmm. I mean, at one point, don't they actually refer to you as a speck on the lens? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, going back to the Warhammer 40K aspect of it, it it's bi- it's a big place. So uh, with a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. But at the same time, they say right at the start that you're supposed to be, you know, it's it's a crucial, it's a turning point moment in the history of mm-hmm. future civilization. And you are at that fulcrum point. You are yep. supposed. It sells itself. Going. You are the one who is going to make all the changes. You are crucial to whatever happens next. And then it doesn't really deliver that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would be tempted to uh, the things I'd be tempted to do with Lancer because, uh, like James, and I will, I will put my my preferences on my sleeve here. Mm-hmm. Is uh, this is not the kind of game I usually play. Sure. But if I was going to play Lancer, I'd be I the temptation I would have would be one, okay, we'll keep the split between uh X and everything else, only the X is going to be political maneuvering with rain rules. Uh, <laughs> that would be temptation number yeah. 1. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're union diplomats and you got to deal with those uh, you know, those jerks at Harrison Armory, you know, they they mm-hmm. they, they need to be taken down a peg. A full peg. Uh, <laughs> option B, and which shows that I am not uh, entirely averse to giant robots. Ages ago, I did Meatbot Massacre, my take on giant robot rules, and I'm like, oh, could I just pull out this four descent, this four E descended thing, and replace it with another set of rules? I don't see any reason that wouldn't work. And however, I wound up doing it. I would probably for the battle mat battles be building little mechs out of Legos to be like, okay, here's the one you've got. Uh, and I can see that being just a sort of a delightful diversion. Mm. That would be cool. I, uh, yeah. can, can I jump in with my version of what, of what I yeah, would do with what it? Would you do with sure. It? I would rewrite some of the robot, the my mech powers. 
because there are they have so many cool powers and so many cool ways of doing it and so many bits of Eldritch technology and they break the background. Mm-hmm. Some of the some of the mechs can teleport. The trouble is at that point, and it's like page sixty five or something. They go, oh, and some of the mechs can teleport. It's like, wait, okay, so this is a future which has easily available three D printable teleportation technology. Mm-hmm. That changes the entire way, the entire structure of your society, and also it changes the entire structure of most of your weapons. If my mech can teleport, why can't I just teleport a bomb inside the other mech? It's it's like the moment in Star Wars The Last Jedi mm-hmm. where they do the, there's the enormously dramatic spoilers first of The Last mm-hmm. Jedi, where they go, oh my God, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, or it's, and it's supposed to be a big surprise, ram Snoke's flagship with the rebel flagship accelerating oh, yeah. to, to light speed. And it's like, okay, so you can do that. So why haven't you been doing that for the last 40 years while you've been <laughs> fighting these people? Why haven't you built ships specifically to ram your adversaries at light speed? Is this supposed to be... Did you just suddenly think of this? It, no. It's a for those of us who think in plot and story terms, and and you know I've spent a large part of my career professionally taking stories apart. It's just it's suddenly oh god no! You probably thought this was clever when you wrote it in the script, but it breaks the background. I uh, like a coherent background, and it just uh, there are lots of things to love in the in the last right. background, but I didn't feel it cohered. I didn't I didn't believe uh, it. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's fair. I mean, a lot of it is explained as weird science that, for example, these NHPs, which are kind of like a major plot element of, of the setting, uh, can, can do things and send blueprints to, to pilots, uh, provide science, scientific technical information that they can't fully understand. And there are still limitations to it. Um, or that, uh, you, again, you need a license level in order to print this kind of, uh, uh, mecha out so they can't yep. be mass reproduced there there are there are mechanisms uh uh so, some kind of mechanism to prevent mass reproduction of this technology at least on some level yeah um, but yeah any any engineer you know mm-hmm. it's it's a an issue that came up with D spells where you know well sure as soon as engineers get a hold of it and they're like wait you can create fire from nothing Right. Why is this not an industrial revolution that would make the one we had here with real science look like right. nothing? Hmm. Right. And so, yeah, it's like you have teleportation. Yeah, that's going to change a lot more than just, oh, well, I can move two hexes without uh, having to worry about the heavy cover that's between me and my, my objective. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a like, cool yeah. mech power, but it doesn't – the moment you get away from the mech combat stuff – it changes stuff. Sure. And you uh, never get the opportunity to use it outside of the net mech combat stuff. No. Uh, well, again, I mean, there's, uh, uh, again, the narrative section is more freeform, so there would be well, okay, nothing so- preventing uh, a GM from saying, yeah, you can use your teleportation power to rescue those, you know, those orphans from the orphanarium that's on fire. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you hit your 50%. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, otherwise, I mean, and there are there are difficulty adjustments, so that would have a penalty, or that would be higher difficulty. Or otherwise, something. they're going to yeah. come out phased halfway. Right. Um, <laughs> it, that's the kind of thing that would be pretty easily um, adjudicated. Um, but I guess we should talk about like what how it does it in term in base terms for for the listeners who haven't aware of it. Um, combat is done on a hex grid uh, usually, and 
Uh, it's D20 base in that you roll initiative and um, the... No, pu- no, you yeah. don't roll initiative. Oh, sorry, yeah. I, I, I've spent a lot, too much of my life designing and redesigning initiative systems and yeah. occasionally fighting co-designers who want to take them out. Yeah. The initiative, and I went over this in some detail just last night, it's basically you decide who goes first. The players decide in what order they go and then one you know one player goes and then one of the enemy goes the gm decides which enemy goes and this is it's really board gamey and it really works and it's not realistic but then i've yet to actually see a, a an rpg initiative system that was realistic and wasn't boring initiative systems are hard this one is it's not it doesn't it feels like a game but it works and my hat is off that you know that is a splendid piece of design. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, yeah, that's a, that, 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 that's a good one. I've only played it once, uh, and I've only uh, read the rules partially. I do want to eventually run it myself. but um, So, yeah, you, you would uh, set up, and you take turns fighting each other. Um, now, mechs um, have both hit points and structure. So when you make an attack roll and attack somebody, you would do inflict hit point damage. When their hit points go to zero... Um, they would lose that one point of structure and which resets their hit points to full, but then they have to make a structure check. Every structure check you do, you have a chance, uh, you would lose, you could be immobilized or stunned or lose a weapon system or some other system. Or if you roll really badly, just blow up. Um, and if you lose multiple structure points, you have to roll a D six for every single structure point. So if you roll multiple ones, you just immediately explode. Um, mechs also have heat, uh, which, Cert, a lot of systems will generate heat, and if you get um, in the danger zone, uh, you're visibly like trying to cool. Your you know steam's coming out. Your vents are open, um, and you're you're exposed to certain dangers. Uh, and then you can also, if you get too much heat, you can melt down and explode again. <laughs> um, also, all mechs are able to hack one another, although some mechs are much better at it than others, mm-hmm. um, and those can inflict status conditions on enemy mechs. Uh, and if you're you're a, a hacking hacking focused mech, you can do a lot of very nasty things. Um, so aside from shooting, punching, or you know, lasering or shooting missiles at one another, you can also hack them or uh, use weapons that cause them to overheat. Yeah, and you mechs take can take a lot of damage before they blow up, or one really good hit can take them out instantly. So in a lot of get ways, it's like uh, a lot of war games. This actually reminds me of. Uh, actually Warhammer 40k and conflict 47 oh, other yeah. war games that have played where like a really good critical hit on a, on a tank can instantly blow it up or the tank can take, you know, 30 hits with, and just they're all glancing blows um, and inflict very, very little damage. And yeah, you just go back and forth taking turns um, in terms of leveling up in the license system. All the, all mech pilots start with the Everest, which is specifically shown not or specifically <laughs> not have art. So you can, have your own image of it. Um, and, but you get to customize it with different weapon systems. And when you get license level one, you can pick, uh, one of the other mechs and you don't, you do not get access to the full mech yet, but you get access to some of its weapons. So you can actually mix and match between mechs. So you could get the weapon of one mech and then the frame, the actual mech, uh, of another one. Um, so you can, so in some ways it's like D and D class, 
in fourth ad or third ad where you can like, oh, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and make my min-max system or dive really deep into one mech and get all of its special uh, uh, weapons and abilities. Um, and so that's, yeah. And that, and so, yeah, then you just do fights. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that's the main thing is that there's heat, there's hacking, uh, and the license systems allows you to mix and match and customize your mech to a very, very large extent. And that's sort of where the, the bulk, uh, and there's a lot of different damage types and types of yes. weapons. Um, yes. so yeah, there is the, um, uh, just earlier today, I was talking mm-hmm. about how I remember somebody on a, a web forum long ago arguing that unless a game had a list of things you could buy with prices, it was not a proper role-playing game. <laughs> wow. Seemed a really weird hill to die on, uh, even in like 1992 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what this has made me think, what reading Lancer has made me wonder is, is it possible to make a game that is all a gear list where, almost as a design challenge, I kind of want to do it, where with the A gears, you know, all the gears that explain how the core mechanics work would have to be in the entries for things that start with A and then, you know, resolve uh, the resolution mechanics would all have to be explained as if in passing in the gear that starts with B. So uh, I think it can be, I think it could be done. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's worth doing. Some would say games like Shadowrunner Battletech have already done that. So, um, but hey, <laughs> yeah, uh, you've got a rim shot. Uh, sound effect that you can can slice in there, right? Yeah. Uh, let me let me just make a note right there. Oh, while yeah, while we're talking about things that you you know you could splice in, you could take my rant about the use of the future conditional, mm-hmm. speed it up fifty percent, and just slam that in here because again, <laughs> it, there yep. are it's not it's not really bad. It's in and out. It's less common than it was in Water Margin, or uh, uh, which was less common than Blades in the Dark. But it's still there. It still makes it. It's still like getting poked with a needle every time I see it. Mm-hmm. Get rid of will, people. Surrender your will. It's not helping you. Yeah. Um, but the thing I like about the the way they've structured the uh, combat and the way you can customize your mech. Uh, and again, this is a fourth ed thing. If you look at character classes, um, and in fourth edition, it, it very much, well, it doesn't mirror, but is clearly inspired by also like in terms of how they lay it out. And, uh, in, in terms of its, you know, graphic design for uh, presentation, um, is that there are a lot of different valid strategies for defeating your foes. You could choose. Um, so there's a lot of different play styles within that um, in terms of like building. They, they categorize mech by what their battle, their role in the battle is, whether they're a striker or yeah. Yeah. Or support or um, defender, you know, they, they um, so player character. So players get the option to really, build a mech that they think would be coolest or most, most fun to play. Do you want to be the, the up close and personal, nothing personal kid ninja assassin with a super cool sword? Well, you can do that. Or do you want to be someone who hides behind cover and uh, launches 
uh, artillery from afar or do you want to be the leader that helps everyone else do their thing uh, or even repair your buddies in battle, you know, the cleric essentially. Um, it, it did feel very much like that list of archetypes that, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, which MMOs have really taken to the, the next level of, of kind of formalizing that there will be, um, you know, the tank and the DPS and the support and the, the stealthy one. And, um, um, and they're all they're all in here except the tank, which is kind of bizarre because mechs are tanks. <laughs> they're just vertical tanks. Just Although I, I don't know, I mean, they're kind of vertical tanks. I was I was building onto that one. Um, but one thing I did notice, and this is a tiny footnote, is that all the mechs. Think of a BattleTech mech. Think of the cover of classic BattleTech. You've got that. I can't. I don't know the different BattleTech models, but it's basically it's this massive structure with two enormous arms and two enormous guns suspended from the arms. And the guns are built right into the arms. Every single mech in Lancer has hands. There are, or all, at least all the artwork, they are all illustrated with very human-like hands. And this goes back to what I was saying about um, the kind of the the magic, essentially the magic. Robots versus the the, the real robots, um, that dichotomy that lies at the heart of of what a giant robot game thinks it is and what and what it's doing. These giant robots are essentially beings. They are not machines, I would say. And when you and as you're playing them in terms of almost Jungian style, it's it's you as it's not. There's no separation between you, the pilot, and you, the, the thing. You are the thing. You're being the thing, represented by a small miniature on the table or or whatever it is. Um, I just, I haven't, I'm not going anywhere particularly with that. I just wanted to point (laughs) it out because I didn't get to put it in earlier on. I think the Lancaster doesn't have hands. Does it? Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a, well, also in Battletech, uh, there's the urban bot or the urban mech, which is famously just a little trash can with a cannon on it. Um, (laughs) so yeah, they, they, um, yeah, so, but yeah, this is definitely a game for people who want to, like, look at a list of weapons, like, oh, I want this, I don't want this, I want to have this kind of cool thing. Um, and one thing to note is also not every single option is for combat. If you notice a lot of the, uh, especially looking at the GMS general market systems, um, you can customize your Mac by spinning system points, I believe. Um, and some of these system point uh, options you can get, um, you have a budget of, like, six points, to spend on various things and anything like smoke charges or um, a turret drone, but you can also get like manipulators, an extra set of limbs. They let you interact with objects that are too small for a normal mech to interact with. So that's entirely like a narrative choice. Um, it could okay. be very useful. Be like, Oh, you need to, the VIP is wounded. You need to perform first aid on him. So normally be like, well, because you don't have manipulator arms, you have to get out of your mech and actually do it as a pilot. Um, so yeah, the GM can use that to, uh, oh, you need to carry the radioactive, uh, uh, dirty bomb out of the thing, but it's too, it's a suitcase. Your mech can't pick it up. Um, <laughs> I, you, I can yeah. picture the scene in the movie where the mech is trying to pick up the suitcase. So it's just squirting out of the fingers. And <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Yeah. Damn it. So um, I, yeah. will, I will give you the Lancaster does not have hands. This is because the Lancaster is a four legged robot that looks like a 12 meter tall. One of those Boston dynamics mm-hmm. robot dogs. Big dog. Yeah. yeah. They are going to live in our dreams forever. Once they turn on us. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. I've seen, uh, I've seen videos of exactly the dance they will do on top of my um, grave. Yeah. 
But if you want to, uh, for the listeners out there, uh, if you want to see more of what how Lancer does what it does, um, there's a YouTube channel, um, Dragon Kid Eleven, I believe, or Eleven Dragon Kid, uh, who does these really good actual play videos that are summaries of uh, playing on a virtual tabletop, and they sort of explain what's happening, like this mission. They're trying to get the VIP from point A to point B. Enemies are trying to stop them from doing that. And um, so like a three-hour play session will be uh, summarized in a 15-minute video. Um, so it's very fast-paced, and you're not going to know everything because the uh, Dragon Kid plays at a high license level. So the players have a lot of crazy abilities. You know, like, oh, well, this player deployed something that has a 50 hex radius around them. And anytime an enemy moves, they take three damage because they just shot thousands of little micro charges to blow up whenever they sense someone without the uh, a friendly tag on them. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, crazy stuff like that. Um, so that's a good way of seeing that. And uh, maybe we should move on to how people play it. Uh, because I, I actually have done this a little bit and I've studied other people on how to play that. Um, the, the, yeah, the main thing about Lancer is that obviously you, if you're playing in tabletop, you would, you can't, cannot do this in theater of the mind. Um, you would need a grid, uh, and miniatures. Um, so in a lot of ways it is, it is a role-playing game, but it's also like a skirmish game like Warhammer 40 K or, um, Gloomhaven, uh, I think I played a lot of Gloomhaven. I did play a lot of Gloomhaven before the pandemic, and so it reminds me of that um, because you, you, everyone needs to sort of pay attention and, and understand what their their mech can do and what the other players are doing to sort of optimize and and fight. And it's a you know so a cooperative challenge for you all. Can you defeat these enemies and complete the objective? Um, Using teamwork and teamwork, the power yeah. of family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, use those bond that bonded and leadership talent, um, and uh, uh, family can do anything. Uh, if we've learned anything from the Fast and the Furious, uh, it's that. And well, the, I was, I was yeah. going to look this up on uh, Google, but I'm like, oh, then there will be keyboard clattering on the sound. So I'll just ask mm -hmm. you, and you might know this: mm -hmm. Is Massive selling miniatures? Have they? Created? No, they haven't. I they like have not. They, they like the obvious yeah. next step. Massive, I think they're already seem to be working on another role playing game called Icon. They've released some preview art on their Twitter, which seems to be a deeply weird. Well, deeply like it, to me seems to be inspired by Kill Six Billion Demons. Like the okay. art, I've, but and that that might just be the artist's art style. Um, so I think Massive style, their emphasis is actually creating a product that is easy for them to sell in that they've only done a print run of the main Lancer book. All the other supplements have been PDF only. They're not even doing print on demand, which uh, is yeah. a very interesting choice. And I mm -hmm. can see why that's appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. Uh, when, when I saw that they were doing that, I'm like, Oh, they're trying to chart their path off of the tread, uh, the, the splat book treadmill and good mm -hmm. on them for that. Cause it's, uh, it, it, it's like the, um, did you ever play Starfleet Battles back in the day? Uh -uh. I've was, seen it played. I still have nightmares. There was a, <laughs> a great bit. One of the abilities that the Orion pirates had was engine doubling. And so they had these fairly small engines, but for one turn, you could have twice as much output 
from your engines. And everything, you, every action was purchased from your economy of power points. So being mm-hmm. able to double your engine was huge. You could just mm-hmm. do everything. But every time you did it, it burned out a box of your engine. So the next time you double it, it's a little less. And then the time after that, it's a little less. And of course, the more you use it, the weaker your engines are when you're not using it. And so one of the books described this as the cocaine economy of engine doubling. It feels great (laughs) at first, but you need to do it more and more, and then it kills you. And... I that that is uh you know how I feel about the splat book approach that so many mm. companies sort of did is that you know yeah you you can get people on the treadmill and you can ramp up to the point that you're kicking these things out every month or 3 months or 6 months but it's not sustainable especially and now especially um, now and so like, the idea that they want to sell the book and maybe have a few other things, but mostly it's just software supporting the book. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. So um, they do have three supplements out so far. The Long Rim, which is a setting book with new mechs and information about mm-hmm. pi- space piracy and um, some more setting information and uh, uh, options for pilots. Uh, then Battle Group, which is a set of alternate rules for doing giant spaceship fighting using the same sort of framework as Lancer. And then the campaign I mentioned before, No Room for a Wallflower, which I've read and I actually do want to run uh, at some point. But like, so they're selling PDFs. They're, they're selling very well on itch.io as I, under- as I understand it. Um, but I think this would be, I would be very surprised. I would not be very surprised if more people play this on virtual table at the hop than in person. I think it is a game in a lot of ways optimized and focused on the virtual tabletop uh, community um, because there's a lot of there are, there's a lot of fan support for the game. There are websites mm-hmm. like Retrograde Minis, which is a uh, generator to cr- create pixel artwork of your miniature, so you could download a PNG and you know an image that you could then upload to a virtual tabletop. Um, then there is uh, CompCon, which is a, a, a web app for character creation, encounter building, um, a lot of useful stuff. Uh, so like when I run it in person, I'm going to have a laptop running CompCon uh, so I can keep track of all the NPC stats, all the enemy stats. Um, but running and- it in person, are you going to build mechs out of Legos? Um, we could, uh, I was actually thinking about using retrograde mini and printing those minis out and then just making little paper minis. A little standees. Um, yeah. Uh, my friend Caleb actually found like uh, a thing on Amazon where you can get a hundred mechs for like $10 on Amazon. that are all like cheap, super cheap plastic, like kind of almost like rubber. Like they're, they're very, um, so we might use a combination of them. Um, isn't that but where yeah. the most of the original D&D monsters came from? Rubbery exactly. stuff bought, you know, from obscure places in yeah. China. So, it feels like a traditional part of the role-playing experience. So I think that also ties into why people play it that way. Um, you know, Lancer came out right before the pandemic, and I think uh-huh. a lot of people have leaned into, and I think even before they were sort of leaning in towards this, this space that is, I think, maybe underutilized uh, in a lot of ways, or it is a growing uh, yeah. Part of our hobby is the virtual tabletop, and I think there's a lot of people who like playing uh, virtual tabletop games and c- 
can't meet other people or don't have the physical space to play a game like this. And it craves an itch because one thing it's more clearly known, you know, like, like D in like D and D has the dungeon crawl. This has the mech fight. So like it has a very clear beginning, middle end of a session. So, um, you could play it with relative strangers. Um, you know, it doesn't take, it's not like uh, a game of hill folk, for example, or even (laughs) blades in the dark where you do character creation together. Um, right. It's yeah. So the advantage is that it is anonymous and not, you know, super, intensely ongoing but this is probably the disadvantage too as with everything you know the big advantage is the same as the big disadvantage Mm -hmm. um you are not gonna get the if it's a pickup game where people are dropping in and out you're not going to get the depth of characterization you do when you have the same four people playing unknown armies or vampire the masquerade for a lengthy campaign or even, uh, you know, something that's not as explicitly character-based as one of those games, even mm-hmm. a more externally focused game, when you have the same people playing the same characters for a long run, all this stuff builds up. And it sounds like this, on one hand, is like, yeah, the good news is it's not a lifetime commitment. The bad news mm-hmm. is it's not a lifetime commitment. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's also a different type of game, a different type of experience than like a unknown armies game because like, you're not going to get like super satisfying tactical combat out of unknown armies. That's <laughs> not what it's about. Yeah. You, you, you will get at that. I've got, I'm going to jump out from behind the woodshed, hit him with the ax handle. I mean, I think part of uh, Lancer's appeal is also like people who like, you know, a tactical combat game and also maybe they're uncomfortable with the fan bases and the, the some of the implications of the settings of the other popular games in that series. I mean, like, you know, Warhammer 40K, the, the main f- human faction is a theocratic fascism. Like it's uh, like, and that, yeah, that's- yeah. Kind of maybe not so fun for your game, you know, if you want to have an escapist fantasy, like maybe something where it's like the Federation, but with cool robots that goes and saves the planet of the week. Uh, maybe that's a little more uh, uh, appealing more to you. Rant. Yeah. So I, I think that kind of uh, explains part of the uh, the appeal of it, or like certainly what the designers were trying to go after is to have a game that wasn't like sort of bogged down in uh, implications <laughs> of, the other, of other settings that well, of, feature yeah, this kind you know, of gameplay. They, yeah. One mm. of the things they talk about is, yeah, there aren't, there aren't aliens you're gonna encounter. There aren't intelligent aliens you're gonna encounter because humankind encountered one group of intelligent aliens and genocided them. And that's mm-hmm. kind of this giant historical scar on the the union worlds where they're just like i can't believe we did that this is that was our mm-hmm. biggest error even though you know they were aggressive but shit we were aggressive now i i should be saying i'm not trying to say that like in lancer it's it's very clearly black and white like uh, actually the campaign against spoilers for it really deals with the legacy of like old warfare and colonialism and because like 
the colony you show up to support, they find out that there's another group of humans there that have been there for a while. And like, there's a lot of tension between the two. It's like, you're, mm-hmm. we've been living here for generations. What the fuck are you guys doing here? Um, and oh, that, uh, was, yeah, that was yeah. one bit I did like in the background where it talked about how first they launched the old slow boat colony mm-hmm. ships and they're aimed at this planet. And it's like, yes, in 10 generations, we will reach our new home, our promised land. And, you know, their whole culture becomes based around, you know, when we make landfall in and we know exactly what it's going to happen. And, you know, and it's it's only five generations now. And, you know, it's only two generations. But meanwhile, Earth's lights, Earth's engines got much better. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can launch a we can launch one that'll get there without it having to be a generation ship. And so Mm -hmm. they arrive at their promised land and. There's people already there who weren't, who who left generations and decades after they did. But, mm-hmm. And therefore have better technology as well. Yeah. Yep. A bitter pill. <laughs> yeah, so you can get dark or serious with Lancer as well. I mean, the setting isn't shying away from those things as well. But um, the idea is that instead of playing, you know, like the Imperium in 40K, you're playing the faction that is ostensibly good or heroic. Um, and we're fighting the good fight is what, what you're trying to do in Lancer. You know, you're trying to be the uh, the, the fulcrum point instead of, you know, the turning point of history. The the few group, the soldiers, like in, again, the, the the campaign, the No Room for Wallflower, it's basically your squad, your player characters who are there to... St- to, like you either stop the machine horde or you don't you either eventually do a decapitation strike to take out the ai um or the ai takes over the planet and wipes everyone out something for people who like this play but yeah but maybe don't want to fully jump into the jackboots of a colonizer or you can just kind of ignore and play like we're mercenaries we take jobs and like okay yeah you can do that uh, if you don't want to think about the, I, you know, get politics in my game, how dare you? <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a type of gameplay that um, a lot of role, very few other role playing games really get into, especially in this depth. It's a very satisfying to be part of a team of players that like finally takes down the bad guy with a lucky critical hit or like a good plan where, you know, one player uh, uh, hacks them to, you know, make, make sure that their attacks miss. Uh, while the other player absorbs whatever attacks get through, so the one player can deal the killing blow, you know that that's the core of the game. And I don't the really th- that had the like tethered harpoon, so you can just staple an en- enemy to the ground and they <laughs> can't move around. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many mechs. There are yeah, a lot of mechs, there's... and every single mech has a cool thing to it. An awful lot of this book is taken up with cool mechs and places for them to fight in. I, th- I think that's another thing of it, too, is like the Lancer, the idea is every mech has a cool gimmick mm. or unique ability so that every player has like, oh, well, my mech can do this cool thing. Uh, and like my mech's a gunslinger with giant pistols or my mech is a ninja who can teleport behind you and cut you in half. And so everybody has that cool thing that they can do and that no one else can do very well. Um, and also I do also like 
in the design. Uh, we haven't mentioned that the NPCs are designed differently than players. Uh, so you don't like just recreate the player character process. So they have mechs too, but they do not, they have different abilities and they don't work as well. They, they do not work identically to the player character mechs. Um, even, I mean, you could say that, Oh, this is that the same type of mech that you saw earlier that, you know, play, Bob used to play as, but mechanically the, the game rules would be different for the NPC mechs. Um, so I, I like that too. Uh, certainly makes it easy for the GM. Do yeah. a little quick math because the actual description of actual Mexican system starts on page 118 and goes through 253. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is a lot of the book. A lot of the book is the gear list as, as we mentioned earlier. And some people are going to hear that and go, oh, that's awful. And other people are going to hear that and go, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and I think it is a great strength of the game's identity that you will clearly know from hearing that whether it's your bag or not. Uh, mm -hmm. There's not going to be a lot of people who are like, oh, I got into Lancer not knowing what was gonna what it was gonna be like. Yeah. And I would say if you're if you're if you like giant robot games, if you're playing a different giant robot game, Lancer is worth it just for the, the breadth and depth and intelligence that's gone into an awful lot of them and the art as well. The, the mech designs that are so. in there. Just you know, treat it like a source book for, for, for new mechs to put the fear of God in your players. <laughs> yeah. What what is that thing? Why does it have? Why does it does it have human feet? Those feet look like human feet. Okay, I mean, did it teleport? <laughs> yeah, you could take a lot of these mechs and put them in other sci-fi games and use their gimmicks, uh, recreate their gimmicks as uh, uh, bosses from other for other games. So yeah, the 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 teleporting mech with the 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 you know monofilament sword uh, would put. <laughs> Yeah, that would be pretty <laughs> scary in any number of games. Um, so, yeah, maybe as a boss fight or something. Oh, that's the um, warning cloak, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a funky-looking one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course the horse mechs are, uh, my personal favorite. The, the, we don't know who designs these and they, they are given out randomly to people. We think some sort of AI God is creating these mechs and giving them to certain pilots for reasons. Um, don't worry about it. Um, uh, anyways, mm. this one can hack reality. Yeah. If I was going to play the mech I would pick would be the Horus Pegasus with, yeah, that, that's just, it looks like a dog with human hands and a sphere of pure black nothingness hovering over its lower back it's there funky. there is a horse mech in the long rim supplement called the lich uh whose gimmick is that it can set a point on the map and then move away from that point and then if it dies it can just reset itself to that point so and once per round it can just like reverse time uh, locally, so it can ignore one attack, anyone attack once per round. So, Holy crap. Yeah, so <laughs> things get weird in this game. Um, and so it's, it's a breath of fresh air in the mech space, which has been, I think, dominated either by um, you know, Battletech style um, or Robotech style mechs. Um, and yeah, uh, it, it's nice to see something new. Uh, very new, very different. So um, yeah. Um, James, any final thoughts? Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of stuff in here. The, the, the fluff is great. Um, 
I did feel it suffered from JK Rowling syndrome that there was nobody involved in the process to go, okay, enough. (laughs) At this point, you're just writing more words. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're good words, but I felt if this was a board game, it would be a brain burner. It was 30 pages in. I already felt overwhelmed by by powers and terms and and, and stuff. Sure. Um, At at that point, that was the point I basically went, I'm going to enjoy reading this, not actually going to pay attention to the details of the mechanics. Um, I'll just ingest it and I will never play it. Um, I think if... Sorry, Greg, you go ahead. Most of those tags make sense, but there are so many of them. Mm-hmm. They do. And this is where the app becomes really useful because uh-huh. it, it's a lot easier to use that than it is to keep leafing through your book, whether it's a physical book or a PDF. Um, okay. That, I think, is one of the great strengths that the app actually exists. At the same time, there is an awful lot on board with this game before you can start playing. Yeah. Um, if people are still unsure about the, the, the tone of it, um, there's... Very early on, the game introduces you to the two key rules, and I read that, and I went, oh, okay, is this going to be spirit of the game? Is is it going to be about when you can't find the correct mechanic? The two key rules are, one, specific rules override general statements and rules, and two, always round up to the nearest whole number. Those are the two key rules for Lancer. <laughs> your, that's, if that doesn't sound like fun to you, don't go there. Yeah. But otherwise, there's there's a lot to like in here. There's a lot of imagination. Um, I would say enough imagination in, going on in here for at least two, possibly three regular role-playing <laughs> games. Um, cool. Well, uh, Greg, any final thoughts? Um, I think I've covered everything, okay. honestly. So. All right. Well, I'm, and you certainly heard my, my, my views on the game. Um, I, I quite learned like Lancer. Uh, hopefully we'll be doing some more actual plays of it on role-playing public radio. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so we'll thank you all for listening and we will have the next game announced hopefully by the time you listen to this. So, yep. Oh, uh, did, where did we land on me being allowed to, you know, tell people how to vote or, you know, tell people what game oh, yeah. to read yet? Okay. Do, do you guys have any game where you're like, Oh boy, I hope they pick that one. Because for me, it's got to be thousand-year-old vampire. I would not be opposed to that. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think all. I mean, we put all the games on there for a reason. I'd be happy to talk about any of them. Um, but thousand-year vampire. I do have a copy of that game, so I oh. would lo- love an excuse to uh, check it out. Um, and it's probably I'm- cheaper than the massive hardback that I got. <laughs> no, yeah, I actually got the hardback as a Christmas gift, so that's why I'm excited to play it. Um, yeah, James, what are you excited to, uh, interested in checking out? It's one o'clock in the morning, in fr- essentially Saturday morning after a full week of heavy work. I can't remember what's on the list and I don't care. Okay, vote, fair enough. Vote for stuff. You backed vote it, you get stuff. to choose. <laughs> all right. With that in mind, uh, we'll talk to you all later. We will free James for Slumberland. Sleep well, James. I will. Um, Just a footnote, any strange noises are probably the cat, which I've been trying to get rid of for most of this (laughs) podcast and will not leave me alone. I apologize. Yep. All right. Well, tell tell your cat we love love them. Um, All right. Bye. (laughs) Talk to you later, everybody. This episode was made possible by backers like Ryan Mannix and Brownie Davis. Thank you.